Well, good morning, church. It is good to be with you. My name is Ethan Magnus. We haven't met yet. Glad you're here with us today. Welcome. One of the pastors here and excited to be wrapping up our series, Invested. Uh, before I do that, I want to tell you a little bit about the next series that starts next week. It's called The Good Life. And uh, really, we're just doing this simple thing. We're going to preach all the way through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we're going to look at the life of Jesus, the, the good life of Jesus, and ask the question, what does Jesus' good life and good teaching teach us about our lives and what it would look like for us to live a good life? What does that even mean for us? Because all these images out there of what the good life is, and we want to make sure Jesus has a chance to teach us that too. Uh, the other thing I want to let you know about is today at 2 p.m. is our uh, retirement party for Phil Torbett. Uh, so if you know him or been blessed by his ministry, you've been here a long time serving us, uh, mainly in media and communications, but a dozen other places too. Um, we're going to be celebrating him at 2 p.m. today at the other end of the building in the CLC. So it's down on the first floor there. So if you want to join us for that, we'll have a good time starting at 2. All right, let's talk about getting invested. Uh, this series started uh, two weeks ago um, with a, a kind of counterintuitive truth that we think that our money, our treasure, follows our heart. But really, God's word teaches that our heart follows our treasure. We said it this way. We said, where we invest, we are invested. Jesus teaches us this. Jesus says that we might, we might think, we might want for our time and our energy to go toward what matters to us. But actually, Jesus says it's the other way around. What you put your time into, what you put your energy toward, what you put your finances toward, that will be what over time captures your heart. He says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, then last week, we looked at another truth from Jesus about investing, that what we invest belongs to God. God's word from beginning to end just teaches this truth, that we are stewards of God's wealth. We don't own anything. God owns everything. What we have, we just steward on God's behalf. And so what we invest, wherever we invest it, what we are investing is God's and not ours. And this week, we want to kind of add to those two one more biblical truth about our best hour, our best skill, our first dollar, the treasures of our lives, about what it means when we invest them. And that's this, when we invest in the mission of God, the mission of God is advanced. I don't know whether that truth surprises you or not. It may not. It may seem obvious to you. Of course, when we invest in the mission of God, the mission of God is advanced. But it wouldn't have to work that way. Right? God could have said, I'm just going to accomplish my mission on my own and y'all just sit there and watch me. There's no part for you to play. There's no role you have in it that God's just going to do God's thing and we just sort of sit there and watch. But God's word is so clear. This isn't what God has done at all. God has actually invited, called for our participation in the mission of God. And God has said, and when you invest your treasures, when you invest your best hour in my mission, my mission is advanced. When you invest your best skills in my mission, my mission is advanced. When you give your first dollar to God's mission, God's mission is advanced. That God has, has actually decided to use our investment as a part of how God plans to accomplish the mission. 
There are so many implications of this truth that the Bible talks about. I had a tough time this sermon, this, this, uh, this week, deciding what to cut from this sermon. Uh, but I knew we'd all get hungry eventually, so cut I have. But I just want to tell you three things that the Bible teaches us about our investment in God's mission. One, it teaches us this, that when we invest in God's mission, it is worth it. That, I, that investing in God's mission is worth it. In fact, I would suggest that as you begin to care about what God cares about, as your priorities and God's priorities start to line up, you will discover this, that the most strategic thing you can ever do with a dollar is invested in God's church. Because it is God's church that is doing all the things that matters most to us. We see this from the very beginning. Acts chapter 4. Uh, all the believers were agreed in heart and mind. They didn't claim anything they had was their own. Instead, they shared everything their own. With great power, the apostles continued their teaching, telling people about the, that the Lord Jesus Christ had risen from the dead, and God's grace was working powerfully in them. So there were no needy persons among them. Well, how could that be? Well, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sales. They put it down at the apostles' feet. It was then given out to anyone who needed Acts chapter 4, do you care about the gospel being preached? Do you care about the announcement that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead? Do you care about poor people being cared for? Well, give, give what you have to the church, because those are things the church does. Uh, Romans 15, Paul says, uh, he's writing to the Roman church. I want to be clear, no, no, no spoilers here. At the end of this, Paul is going to ask them for money. That's what he's doing. Uh, in fact, some would say the whole purpose of the whole letter of Romans was so at the very end he could ask them for money. But listen to how he does it. Here's what he says. Because I belong to Christ Jesus, I take pride in my work for God. I will speak about what Christ has done through me. I won't try to speak about anything else. He has been leading the Gentiles to obey God. He has been doing this by what I have said and done. And notice this just for a second. Paul knows that God is the one who's doing it. Paul knows that God is the one who is leading Gentiles to Christ. Paul knows that God is the one who is advancing the church all the way throughout the room. Paul knows that God is the one who's doing it. But listen to what he says. He's been doing it through me. My investment of my best time and my best skills has actually been accomplishing the mission of God. I cannot believe that God would do it through me. And this is this principle that when we invest our treasure, our best hour, our best skill, and our first dollar, when we invest in God's mission, God's mission is accomplished by that investment. Paul says, I can't believe it. Uh, I can actually take pride in my work for God because God has done this through my investment. I, I couldn't believe that God would do this through me. He goes on. He's given me power to do signs and wonders. I can do these things by the power of the Spirit of God. From Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have finished preaching. In those places, I preached the good news about Christ, and now I want to preach the good news where Christ is not known. Skipping a couple verses down to verse 23. Now there is no more place for me to work in those areas. For many years I've wanted to visit you, so I plan to see you when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while I am passing through, and I hope that you will help me, you will invest in God's mission through me on my journey there. But first, I want to enjoy being with you for a while. First, Paul says, I can't believe that God has actually used my investment to accomplish God's mission. And then he says, and now you get to invest. 
That's why I'm coming to the Roman church. I want you to invest in God's mission so together we can take the gospel to Spain where they've not yet heard of the resurrection of Jesus. And still today, we get to do that. We get to invest in God's mission and through our investment see God's mission accomplished. Philippians 4. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. This isn't about my need. For I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Nevertheless, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment. I have more than enough. I am now amply supplied since I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering. Guy in his offering prayer prayed that our offering would smell sweet to God. You may have wondered what that was about. What do we need to offer that's going to smell sweet? That was actually a reference to this text. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul says to the Philippian church, your investment in God's mission actually led to the accomplishment of God's mission. Your investment made a difference in the advancing the gospel throughout Greece. And now on. I will just say personally, what I have figured out in life is that everything I care most about is accomplished best by the church. This is why I care so much about church planting, because there are places that don't have enough churches, and everything I care most about is accomplished by the church, so those places need churches. It's why I give to the church. Uh, I, I, really, I don't know anything more strategic to do with the dollars that God has entrusted to me, but then to give them to God's church. I mean, what do you care about? Do you care about the homeless or refugees or immigrants or the poor or addicts or the hungry? Well, this church is serving all those populations and the other churches of our region are as well with, with incredible effectiveness. Do you care about kids or teenagers or senior adults? So does this church and together we can do so much more than any of us can alone. Do you care about preaching the gospel to those who have not, hadn't, haven't heard it? We have a great, we have an amazing missions team here. Maybe you want to join them if you really care about this. They do such a great job vetting our ministries and supporting our missionaries and equipping our missionaries. They, 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 they oversee a huge portion of our budget, making sure that money is spent well. So if you care about that, if that's what you care about, well, so does this church. I can't think of a better, more strategic way than to entrust that team with the money to do that well. Do you want to see our city rally together in service to our community? Well, that's what Love Month is about right now. And it's more than just our church that does it. Other people are, people are bringing their friends and neighbors to participate. It's not too late. Love Month isn't over yet. Do you, do you want to see us build communities for people that are lonely? Well, this church is launching this, you know, a little plug here. The next men's breakfast, March 14th, by popular demand, it's going to be 8 a.m. instead of 7 a.m. Uh, so maybe that'll help some, some of you uh, sleep in a little bit more. But it'll be right down in the CLC, March 14th, uh, 8 a.m. on a Saturday morning. Got a men's breakfast. Well, well, who does that kind of thing? 
Who, who sponsors a breakfast for people who need relationships to find? Well, the church does that. Nobody else does that kind of thing but the church. Do you want to see churches planted? Do you want to see marriages rescued? Talked to a couple a few weeks ago. They're a little older than I am, not much, about my age. They said their marriage had twice needed rescuing. It needed rescuing twice. And they said both times it was the church that saved their marriage. Church. Do you care about that? The the, the most amazing thing is that when we invest in God's mission, we get to actually see God's mission accomplished. Maybe what you care about is grieving families. My goodness, you can be in prayer. Uh, this, This local church, we have so many families right now that are grieving loss. Just my inbox is filled with people I'm praying for right now. Uh, almost a dozen families have lost a, a close loved one just in the last 10 days or so. Um, well, do you, you want those families cared for? Well, invest in the church. That's who does it. It's, it's our small groups and our Sunday school classes and our staff that do that so well. Just this week, about a third of our staff, I'm going to guess they worked 30 extra hours this last week. Uh, to care for the Wandell family. Very complicated, big, regional funeral. We think something like 20-some thousand people watched the live stream of that funeral. All of that was made possible because our tech staff and our comm staff and our production staff is so amazing. Uh, they really just went crazy. They're, they're, they're smart, they're well-trained, and they work hard so that all that could be possible. If that matters to you, again, invest in the local church. What God's word teaches us is that the most strategic thing we can do if we want to accomplish God's mission is to invest in God's mission. But it's not just strategic. God's word also teaches us that investing in God's mission is worship. That when we invest in the mission of God, that is an expression of thanksgiving and praise. When we invest in the mission of God, we are worshiping God. Uh, Probably the most important text on giving in the New Testament is 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. And I'm just going to read a little bit of it. There's so much in here. I I wish I could talk about all of it. I don't have time to talk about all of it. But I'm just going to focus on how Paul teaches us that our investment in God's mission is an act of worship. Here's what he says. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul says there are two ways to give. We can give sparingly, we can give reluctantly, we can give under compulsion, or we can give generously. We can give from our heart, we can give cheerfully. He goes on, you see, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times having all that you need you can abound in every good work as it's written they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor their righteousness endures forever you see he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness you will be enriched in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This is the rhythm that we talked about last week, right? Everything that we give, what we invest, belongs to God. 
you will be enriched in every way. God will provide what you need. Why will God do that? Well, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And your generosity results in thanksgiving to God. And Paul says the one who sows sparingly, I mean, sows generously, will also reap generously, that God will just start the whole cycle over again. God will again enrich you so that you can be generous, so that the glory goes up to God. God's word teaches us, we saw that last week, that as we steward God's wealth for God's purposes, God entrusts us with greater stewardship. Paul goes on. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. In their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And the gift, of course, isn't just the one act of generosity. The gift is the whole miracle of God's provision turning into our generosity, which turns into God's glory, which turns all into God's provision once again. Paul says there are at least two ways, and probably so much more, that our giving, our investing in God's mission is an act of worship. The first, of course, is our investment in God's mission is directly a way that we say thanks to God. And I would just say, every week you worship, if you have been blessed with, with something to invest, then you ought to invest it as a way to say thank you for God's blessing. But more than that, Paul says that when we give, and our giving then accomplishes the mission of God, it feeds the poor, or advances the gospel, or builds up the church, that those who are blessed by that mission also give praise to God. So our giving not only is an act of worship, it also makes possible a culture of worship and praise to God. And everywhere we look, when we look for God's teaching on generosity, teaches again and again this principle, that God will enrich us so that we can be generous, which then results in glory and thanksgiving to God. That God's providence for us begins this process of generosity which ends up in worship. So when we invest in God's mission, God's mission is accomplished. So investing in God's mission is worth it. It's strategic. Investing in God's mission is worship. And the last thing you got to know that God's word teaches over and over and over again about our investment in the mission of God. Giving the mission of God our best hour, our best skill and our first dollar is that investing in God's mission is eternally significant. Investing in God's mission is eternally significant. Now, if you need help with your uh, earthly finances, uh, you should not ask me about it. I am not an expert on those sorts of things. But I have heard that people who do work with investments, that they talk about investments in terms of their ROI. And roughly three days' worth of Googling led me to determine that ROI stands for return on investment. 
And so when you make an investment, you should ask what the, the ROI is. What's the return that I will get out of this investment? Maybe it's after so many years, you get such a percentage or something like that. Or, or they'll tell you that the ROI is not guaranteed or it is guaranteed or all kinds of fancy things like that. But I don't know much about. But, but it seems to me that this question of what's the ROI is a pretty good question to ask about investing in God's mission. What's the ROI? Well, we've already seen that, that part of the ROI is it actually gets the work of the church done. It actually gets God's mission. When we invest in God's mission, it actually, God has set up the world. That your investment of time and treasure actually accomplishes the mission of God. Now, that's not a bad ROI. But the one I don't want you to miss right now is this. That when you invest in God's mission, you trade what is temporary for what is eternal. When you invest in the mission of God, you trade what is temporary for what is eternal. Luke chapter 12, Jesus is teaching, and uh, in the middle of his instruction, somebody from the crowd interrupts him. They ask him a question. They say, teacher, tell my brother to to divide the inheritance with me. Now, just to be clear, I have a ton of sympathy for the guy who just asked this question. Uh, In the ancient world, uh, when there was an inheritance, it was the elder brother's job to divide the inheritance. They were in charge of the estate and distributing it. Which meant if the elder brother didn't want to share, they could just take their time. It's not that they weren't going to divide the inheritance. They just hadn't gotten around to it yet. And until they got around to it, it was all there. Now, as a younger brother myself, I then have a lot of sympathy with this younger brother who comes asking Jesus to tell his older brother to get with it and get dividing that inheritance. I apparently have more sympathy than Jesus does because he asks the question and Jesus responds, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? And then he said, you watch out. You be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told him a parable. He said, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. And I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. We need to understand what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that if you store up things for yourselves and you're not rich toward God, that you'll die young, suddenly, like the man with the barns. He's just saying you will die. And when you die, you'll discover that everything you invested in yourself 
was just temporary. And everything you invested in God was eternal. That's what he's saying. He's saying, it'll be the same with you, he says. If you spend your whole life investing all that you have in yourself, it'll be just the same with you. Eventually you'll die, and you'll discover that everything you invested in was temporary. He goes on, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They've got no storeroom or barn, but God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why would you worry about all the rest? Look at how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. But I tell you, even Solomon in all his splendor was not dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the fields, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat. See, it's about your heart. Don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. And of course, if you're investing your treasure in what you eat and drink, you will set your heart. That's the way it works. Your heart follows your treasure. For the pagan world runs after all these things. Your father knows you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. And there it is. Jesus says, trade what is temporary for what is eternal. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This teaching must really matter to Jesus. We already read in Matthew that it was part of the Sermon on the Mount. And here, it's his apparently standard response to younger brother who wants his money that his older brother won't give him. To tell him a story and then remind him of this principle that his heart will follow his treasure. And to the one who is focused on investing what they have in what is temporary, Jesus says, you fool. You know you can't keep any of that, right? Instead, trade what is temporary for what is eternal. Invest in God's mission, and not only is God's mission advanced, but you will be investing in what is eternal. And then Jesus ends right where this series started. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The secret of being invested is this. That when you invest in the mission of God, God gets what God most wants. Which isn't your money, of course. God already has all your money. All your money belongs to God. So he doesn't need that. No, no. When you invest in the mission of God, God gets what God most wants. God gets you. God gets your heart. 
which follows your treasure as sure as the day follows the dawn. When you invest in God's mission, God gets you, and you get eternity. Let's pray. Gracious God, teach us to be invested. Not invested in the things of this world which are so quick to pass away. Not invested in ourselves, for we are unreliable. But to invest in you. To trade what is temporary for what is eternal. To put our trust in your ongoing providence. So that by you we might be enriched in every way. So that having all that we need, we might in every occasion be generous. And as a result, thanksgiving might go up. God, we are trusting you for this, even as we invest in your mission and your church. We pray this in Jesus' name.